0: Good morning, church. Uh, My name is Graham, and I'm one of the pastors here at City Reach. And we're coming to you online, and I have to admit, it's a bit strange for me not seeing you face-to-face, but... One bit of encouragement is knowing that we're all worshipping together through multiple locations in our homes, but we're still gathering to worship the same Lord, and that is Jesus. Uh, So if you're joining us, we are in a series in Exodus. Uh, Today we're looking at Exodus 13 and 14. So if you have your Bibles or uh, maybe an app on a phone or an iPad, get those out now and we'll look at those scriptures as as we go along. Uh, Today's message is called... Called through the waters. Uh, now, when my kids were small, they used to love it when we used to read to them before going to bed. And one book that they enjoyed, particularly my daughter enjoyed, this book was called "We're Going on a Bear Hunt." Now, maybe some of you parents are familiar with that book. But there's this there's this cheeky little rhyme in the book, and it goes something like this. I'm not going to do it justice, but it, it sounds like this. We're going on a bear hunt. We're going to catch a big one. I'm not scared. What a beautiful day. Oh, look, a river, a deep, cold river. We can't go over it. We can't go under it. We can't go around it. We've got to go through it. Now, it's that last line there, got to go through it, which is what today's study in the Exodus is all about, Uh, The Israelites might have sung that rhyme a little bit differently. They might have said, I'm very scared. Oh, look, the Red Sea, we can't go through it. Uh, But this is the moment that the Israelites did go through the Red Sea. But really, it is a baptism moment. You see, Exodus is written not just as an interesting bit of history or a bit of Bible knowledge. It's actually written for us. In the New Testament, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 that it is a warning of Israel's story. And Paul says this, he says, Our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And their baptism came at exactly the right point in the journey that baptism should come for us. You see, they had already started out as the people of God. They had already believed in Him. They had already put their trust in the blood of the Lamb that God might not visit on them the punishment of death. Uh, They were set free from the wrath of God. And they had set out on their journey and they were heading for the promised land. But the thing that God wanted to do in them now was for them to be baptized, which is why He led them through the waters of the Red Sea. And you know, for us as believers, uh, after you've believed in the blood of the Lamb that covers you, and as you've started out on your journey of following Jesus, you do need a decisive and final break. Uh, and between you and the life that you once lived. And for the people of Israel, the Red Sea marked that break. Uh, It was the point in which they had their last contact with Egypt, right? And with Pharaoh, the the bad guy, the the tyrant who had oppressed them, and with all those who had kind of held them in the grip, unable to escape. And it really was the first real battle where they stood still, and they saw the Lord, what the Lord could do for them. So the Israelites would learn that the Lord is faithful, and He will deliver them, albeit in unlikely and unexpected ways. But now that's not as easy as it sounds, and we'll find out the Israelites were not quite as trusting as they should have been. In fact, they felt quite trapped. Uh, As Pastor Timon taught us last week, the Israelites had been led out by the Lord on this zigzag road to exactly where they needed to be. Uh, And this is what it says in chapter 14, verses 1 and 2. It says, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piharoth between Migdol and the sea, and in front of Baal, Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. Now, that sounds great, right? The Lord's leading them, and the Israelites obeyed, uh, but then they get there, and they're feeling kind of trapped. They feel a little bit hemmed in on all sides. Now, as the readers, we know why the Lord did this. It says, as we read on in verse uh, 3 and 4, it says, For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. So you see, the Lord actually traps them on purpose for a purpose. But imagine you are one of the Israelites and you arrive that night. You've been obedient. You've listened to how the Lord's directed you. And and you feel like he's kind of led you straight into this cul-de-sac, this dead end. And and they were enclosed on these three sides. So imagine you're, you're facing south in the camp of the Israelites that night. On your left is the Red Sea. And straight ahead of you is this mountain range, a mountain range which you can't possibly climb over. And then to the right of you is the River Nile, and beyond that is the Sahara Desert. And God says, this is the way. This is exactly where you need to be. And you would be like, really, really, Lord? Are are you sure? Is your GPS working uh, okay? Because as far as I can see, we seem pretty shut in. And then if that isn't bad, to make it worse, you start hearing the sound in the distance. And you turn around and you look and you see the the smoke and the dust getting nearer and nearer. And through that dust, you start seeing the, the chariots of the Egyptians and these horses charging at you. And you hear the pounding of the hooves and you know you are trapped. In fact, this is it. You are going to die this is how they felt, right? This is going to end badly. It's utter despair, right? They were full of fear. They thought, oh, we, we, we started off on this journey. We trusted you, God, and now it's going to end like this. You know, there, there comes a time in every believer's life where we feel shut in. Where we're in a situation where we feel it's impossible to move. We look at what's in front of us and we feel there's no possible way we can get through that. We look to the left and we feel shut in. We look to the right and we feel shut in. What do you do in those moments? Well, this is what the Israelites did. They ended up fearing the enemy. And they actually did two things. The first thing they did was cry out to the Lord. Now you might think, well, that's a good thing, right? Uh, But what did they cry out? This is what it says in verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. Who did they fear? The Egyptians. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. Well, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to cry out to the Lord. But this is what they said. They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you? Moses, we told you this back when you were in Egypt. Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. You know, the the people, they didn't cry out for help. They didn't cry out for understanding. And they didn't cry out for rescue. Instead, they moaned, they whinged, and they whined to Moses. They're saying to Moses, Moses, why why did you ever bring us out on this journey? Why did you ever start us off? And I don't know if you've ever felt like this, but but I certainly have. As you on your journey of faith with Jesus, there gets a time where you, where you feel frustrated and, and you feel the Lord has let you down, and you ask the question, why did you ever bring me this way? And you know when that happens, when you cry out like that, three things have happened in your heart. And this is what happened to the Hebrews as well. Number one, they had forgotten the past. The Hebrews had forgotten God's mighty are. I mean, can you imagine? These people had seen God perform miracle after miracle. They'd seen Him send plagues against the Egyptians. They had seen Him deliver them. They had seen the Egyptians give them this, this favor as they left Egypt. And yet, they're like, oh, we just forget all of that in this moment. Because it led them to this. And this is the real issue. They were fearful of the present. And they were fearful in two very distinctive ways. The first one was their fear of circumstance. The circumstance, they felt like they were shut in. There was no way out. You know, I I meet people who are afraid all the time. You meet people and you you ask them, "What are you afraid of?" And I, I meet people who are afraid of sickness. They're afraid of financial failure. They're they're afraid of old age. They they are fearful of being single. They they fearful of getting married. They they seem like they they are afraid of so many things except God. Another thing that they were full of fear of was their enemies, their enemies. All they could see what what was against them. People are against me. This is what they're saying about me. This is what they'll do to me. I'm, I'm afraid of what they're going to think about me or say about me or, or do to me. You know, both those things, our fear of our circumstances and our fear of our enemies, both those things take away your love for God And your trust in him. Because you cannot be afraid and trustful at the same time. So, the question for us right now if I had to ask you, what are you afraid of at the moment? What are you fearful of at the moment? You know, a third thing that had happened for the Israelites to cry out like this is that they were faithless for the future. You know, they had seen God lead them in front of them in this pillar of fire by night and this cloud by day. They had seen Him perform all these miracles and provided for them. And yet they couldn't trust Him with their future. They thought this is where it ends. It ends by us being killed by the Egyptians. They were faithless for the future instead of faith-filled for the future. They were just thinking, we can't trust you, God. We can't trust you for a future. We just see it ending here. Well, now, what is the cure for this kind of situation? It is the promise of deliverance. You see... God will tell the Israelites essentially two things. He will tell them, stand still and watch. And then when you've stood still and watched, you will hear me say, go forward. And in verse 13, it says this And Moses said to the people, Fear not. First thing you do, stop being afraid, guys. And then he says this, stand firm or stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you only have to be silent. So Moses tells the people two things. Number one, stand still, stand firm. Now, why would Moses have to say that? I mean, they were stuck, right? They were standing still, weren't they? I mean, they were kind of, where do they go from here? Their biggest temptation at this moment would have been to run back to Egypt, to run back to the Egyptian army. They were going to run back and say, listen, we're so sorry. Will you take us back as your slaves? Just just please don't kill us. Spare our lives. They were going to run back to their old life. Because that's the life they knew, no matter how hard and cruel and bitter it had been, at least it's what they knew, and it's where they felt safe. There's no way that we're going to run into the sea, there's no ways that we're going to run over the mountains or into the desert, that we're going to go back to Egypt. And what is the temptation that we have if we're in a situation? Like that, where we feel trapped. Our temptation is, is to run, is to panic, is to go back where we're from, to go back to our old life in hope of saving something. You know, it's scary, but at least our old life is what we knew. We found some sort of pleasure there, didn't we? See, in Moses at that moment, he comes and he stands between them, between them and the Egyptians, and he says, stand still. Stand still. Don't run. Don't panic. Don't go back to Egypt. Just hold on a moment. You know, this is a a crisis moment, but it's actually this awesome leadership moment, right? Moses could have panicked too, because the Egyptians were coming for him as well, but he doesn't. He doesn't. He's this non-anxious Presence, and he leads his people by saying, stand still. You know, there are times when all the Lord wants us to do is just stand still. Don't have to move. God, we are just going to stand here and we are going to wait to hear from you. We're not going to rush. We're not going to panic. Because we want to do what you want us to do, and we will stay here, we will stand, and we will wait for you to tell us which way to go. You know, there's something in all of us where where we think we need to do something about the situation. We need to fix the situation. And instead, just quietly saying, Lord, I'm going to wait here until you tell me which is the way to go. You know, so they, they cried out to the Lord and God was so full of grace towards them. I mean, he, I would have been irritated with them for what they said, but God just answers them. And through Moses, he says, stand still and watch. Watch the Lord work salvation today. And then he makes this awesome promise. This is what he says. The Lord will fight for you. The Lord will fight for you. Guys, that's the key. You won't even need to lift a finger. You just watch what he does, right? You just get on with the situation and just see that he will do it. And then once you've stood and once you've seen him work, then you get this command from him, which is God said, go forward. Now's the time. Now you've seen what I can do. Go forward. In verse 15, it says this, the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? I, I love that. You know, you just, it's kind of like a subtle rebuke of Moses. Moses, just get on with it. Stop crying out to me. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. You know, there's two things that we need to do when we find ourselves panicking and fearful in what seems to us like an impossible situation. Number one is we stand Still, we stand firm. For a moment, we just stop panicking and we look to God and we wait for Him. And then when He tells us to move, we go forward in the way that God told you to go. And you see what happens? As you march towards that thing which you seem to block your way, you will find that God makes a way through. Um, in the book, Pilgrim's Progress, a great book if you haven't read it, uh, written many hundreds of years ago, but such a good book. Uh, In the book, the character Pilgrim, in his path, in his journey, he gets to a point where in front of him, he sees two lions lying in his path. And as the people sort of come up to them, he sees them running away and and Pilgrim himself is tempted just to run. There's no way through these lions. I'm just going to get eaten. And then he hears this command, go forward. And Pilgrim tentatively walks up and he sees the lions lying in the path. And when he gets really close, he discovers that they were chained. And that if he kept right in the middle of the path, if he carried on the path which he was told to go, then the lions couldn't reach him. And, and, and pilgrim walk right through their graping, ferocious jaws. It's quite a moment. And that is what happens when you go forward, right? The difficulty doesn't seem to be able to touch you because you go through and you go on your way. Now, this is how God fought for them. This was the God who flexes his muscles at this stage, Miracle number one, the miracle of the dark sky. You see, God had made His presence visible amongst these people, right? Uh, What a comfort to the Israelites. I mean, when I read this, it's something that I would love to have experience. Could you imagine seeing God's presence in this this pillar of fire guarding you? Like the whole people of Israel, two and a half million Israelites seeing God's presence in front of them. You know, it's it's interesting in in ancient warfare, the commander of an army would, would signal his presence in the field to his troops by lighting a bonfire. It's if saying, calm down, guys, I'm here, this is my presence. And when the Israelites saw those flames and and they saw the pillar of fire, that marked God's presence. And God was showing them, he's the commander, he's in charge, he's their minister of defense, he's leading them. What a beautiful way. And he he led them by going in front of them in this this pillar of fire by night and the cloud by the day. Now, the first thing that happens is when they stand still, Moses told them to stand still, is that we find this this pillar of fire that the Lord moved from being in front of them. He goes right around to the back of them. He moves around behind them. And this is that God not only goes before us, but He is also behind us. He's not only in front of us leading us, but He's behind us protecting us. You know, we're we're told an interesting thing right here, that this pillar of fire, it gave this tremendous light to the Israelites. They could see where they were at night. It gave them the light to see what to be able to do. But on the other side, it was pitch black. You know, and, and that's how God seems like to different people, to, to those who are walking in His light and are trusting Him, He lights up their path. He shows them the way. But to those who, who are outside of Him and are in darkness, they see nothing. The second miracle was, of course, what, what, what is known for in the story is the divided sea, the parting of the Red Sea. Uh, now, there's a lot of great memes about Moses, and they all kind of go around Moses parting water. And, and this is one of my favorite ones, right? It's Moses uh, fishing with his mate. And, and what Moses has done is this cheeky little thing of, of parting the water where his mate's fishing. So his mate's just casting his line on dry ground, and his, his mate says to him, it's not funny, Moses. Um, But you know that story is wrong because Moses didn't part the Red Sea. Moses doesn't have the power to part any water. It was God who parted the Red Sea. And it says this, that it didn't happen just in a moment, but that God sent a strong east wind. Now, why does the Bible mention that? Couldn't it just say, well, he parted the waters? God wants us to know that the wind is in His hands. Nature is in His hands. And it's as if seeing this wind is as if God is just blowing on the, river, on the, on the Red Sea and it parts. This strong east wind would have blown and blown and blown and would have pushed this water back and then you would have seen these massive walls of water and as the wind blew all night, it would have dried out the silt and it would have allowed the Israelites to, to walk through on this dry land. This is this amazing scene of God being in control. Now, we see what this produces in the Israelites. You know, when you've seen the Lord's mighty hand, when you've seen His power, when you've seen His salvation, and you see the power of His redemption, it will change you. And this is how it changed the Israelites. We read in in chapter 14, verse 30 and 31, it says this, "'Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians,' And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord. And they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. Do you notice the change in the people? They go from fearing their circumstances and their enemies to fearing the Lord. Guys, and if you fear the Lord, if you you fear Him with reverence and awe, you will fear no one and nothing else. You know, a, a healthy fear of the Lord leads to believing and trusting in Him more. You know, the Lord had to get them to this place. He had to get them to a place where they could look nowhere else for help. The only place of deliverance would come from Him. And that's what happens in their hearts. The question we have is, is where are our hearts in this? Are we still fearing our circumstances? Or our enemies? Or are we fearing and trusting the Lord? You know, maybe the Lord has brought you to a place where you feel trapped. You feel there's no way out. And maybe that's exactly where He wants you to be. So instead of looking to your right or to your left or what's in front of you and behind. Try looking up. As the psalmist says, he says this, I lift my eyes up to the mountains, right? I look up. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth, the God who created everything is my help. He's powerful. He's all powerful. And yet he's my help. He will not let your foot slips. The God of who made the heavens and the earth cares about me. He cares about the circumstances I am in. He will not let my foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. God is not sleepy. He's not distanced from your situation. He is right there. He just calls us to look up to him and allow him to be our help. You know there's one miracle that we haven't mentioned yet but there is a third miracle that took place. It was the miracle of the dead Egyptian soldiers. Now, that just made some of us feel uncomfortable. Right? You see if if the Hebrews Got through on the dry ground, and if it had remained that way, the Egyptians could have gone through as well, and they would have overtaken the Israelites and they would have killed them. But maybe if the sea had just slowly started closing in and it allowed the Egyptians to escape back to uh, the, the Egyptian side, well, what about that? Well, this is what the the Egyptians would have done. They would have just got on their chariots and, and traveled three times faster than the Israelites. They would have gone down past the Great Bitter Lake, down the western shore, and they would have caught up with the Israelites on the other side. You see, this was an essential moment to God's almighty purposes that He showed the Egyptians, I am the Lord, not Pharaoh, not your powers, but I am the Lord. And the water came back, and the Egyptians were washed up dead on the seashore the next day. And I think we really have to get the right view of God here. You know, according to Moses, as in chapter 15, he describes God as a warrior, a God who fights like a warrior. You know, that is, that is the God we worship. The God of the Jews is the God of Jesus. And the God of Jesus is, is our God. If our idea of God cannot hold us and cannot contain the idea of a God who fights for us, then we're going to lack an essential part of our understanding of God. You know, as we've, we've looked at the series in, in, in Exodus, we've been talking about Redemption. And, and to be redeemed means to be rescued. It means to be set free. It means to be liberated. To see that once those things or those people that have held you in such a grip that, that you are, they are gone forever. That's when we've been redeemed, one thing that'll certainly happen is that we sing. We rejoice, we praise. And that's exactly what Moses and the children of Israel did. They got to the other side and they sang redemption songs. You know, Christian praise was born out of this idea of redemption and rescue. You know, the Israelites would have looked down on the seashore and they would have seen the bodies of the Egyptians. And because of what they saw, they would have sang and danced about it. Now again, that might make some of us feel very uncomfortable. But if you had been a slave for 430 years, and you and your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents had been under this grip of tyranny and cruelty, and you saw your tormentors dead on the seashore, you would have sung and danced too. Now let's be very, very clear at this moment that our fight today is not against flesh and blood, right? But it is against the principalities and power. The Lord takes no delight in the death of the wicked, right? It 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 is about the enemy that we have defeated that we sing and rejoice over. It is never about people. You know, the song of Moses is a redemption song. And their their praises were marked by two very clear things. Number one was this fact of deliverance, that you have been set free. But the other thing that they were rejoicing in was this idea of destruction, that your enemies have been destroyed, that injustice has been dealt with, those things that have been a temptation to you and have been holding on to you have been destroyed. You know, we we praise the Lord for His deliverance, but we also praise Him for His destruction, His defeat of our enemies. You know, the two go together. You, you cannot be delivered from your enemies, unless your enemies are destroyed. You know, the song comes out and all this, that that Jesus is not only our deliverer, but Jesus is also our destroyer. It says, now, now the prince of this world is cast out. And in 1 John, it says this, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. That is why we sing about the cross and we rejoice in the cross. It is not only about our deliverance, our setting free, our being redeem, redeemed. But when we look at the cross, we see it as a place of, of conquest, of victory over principalities and powers and injustice. It is a place of victory against our enemies. And when you, when you look at the song, it's this beautiful balance. It's this perfect balance between the past and the future. right? God has brought us out of Egypt. He has saved us and rescued us from where we've been. But He also promises to bring us into His promised land and His rest of freedom. You know, we can can sing with such joy that what God has delivered us from, but we can also sing with equal joy what God has delivered us for. He's brought you out of so much, but it's what He's going to bring us into that is also worth singing and rejoicing about. And finally, this whole song, this whole thing is just drenched with the glory of God. It's about God. It's about Him. It says, I will sing of my Redeemer. It's centered on Him. It's not not praising Moses. It's not praising the Israelites for their great faith. It's praising God that He is the one who led them through. You see, our songs of praise and thanksgiving should never be about men, but it should be focused on Him and what He has done for us. You know, the Bible gives glory to God because He is the only one, the only one who is worthy of true worship. Not even Moses is to be praised. But this is what he says, Oh, praise the Lord. The horse and the rider went into the sea. Praise the Lord for He has triumphed gloriously. You know, The Israelites were singing, and then Moses' sister got in the action. She came up and she started singing. And why not? Why not? Why not sing when you know that you've been set free, that you've been redeemed, and that your enemies have been destroyed? So really there's only one thing left to do, and that's for us as God's people to praise Him today to praise Him, to remember it's the Lord who fights for us. It's when we see His promise of deliverance, we move from fearing our circumstances and our enemies to fearing Him and Him alone. It's when we know that Jesus on the cross has redeemed us. He set us free. Those things no longer have a grip on us because He has destroyed our enemies. He's destroyed injustice. I invite you where you are in your homes. I know this is a bit unusual and it might be a little bit awkward, but you don't stand before me. You don't stand before any others. You are standing before the Lord so I invite you to stand and we're going we're to sing and praise the Lord with a song about him who fights for us. And we're going to sing it with, with joy and thanksgiving in our hearts to the only one who is worthy. So let me pray with you and for you and then let us rise together and sing of his goodness and his kindness to us. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you are a warrior, that you fight for us and you always have and you promise to always lead us, always move us on, Lord Jesus. We thank you from what we've been rescued from. We thank you that you and you alone have destroyed the enemy, Lord God, and we have nothing left to fear. Father, help us trust you this week with our very lives, with our circumstances, with all the things that we are going to face, knowing that you fight for us. Lord, we love you and we choose to praise you now. Amen.